0: Welcome to the Global Energy and Environmental Law Podcast. My name is Maiana Dellinger. I'm a professor of law with the University of South Dakota Knudsen School of Law. Today is September 27, 2021. I have the honor and joy of talking to Professor Carolina Arlota about the expectations for increased action against climate change in the United States and Brazil. Karolina Arlotta is a visiting assistant professor of law at the University of Oklahoma College of Law, where she has taught courses on several international topics. Karolina holds an LLM and a JSD from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. In Illinois, she was awarded the Lehman Graduate Fellowship. She was also a recipient of prestigious fellowships granted by the Tinker Foundation and by the French Foundation. Fondation pour le droit continental. Professor Alata's most recent publications appear in renowned law journals around the nation. In addition, she has been published in renowned peer reviewed journals such as the uh, Review of Law and Economics and is the co editor of Carbon Capture and Storage in International Energy Policy and Law, which is forthcoming this year by Elsevier here in the United States. Professor Arlotta is a referee for several other journals. She's an attorney in Brazil and a member of the New York Bar. Before entering academia, she was an attorney for Petróleo Brasileiro S.A. Petropa. The article mentioned in this po- podcast is The Amazon is Burning, Is Paris 2, A comparative analysis between the United States and Brazil based on the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. This was published by the Georgetown Journal of International Law in 2020. So, Carolina, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Maya. It's such an honor uh, and a joy to be here, joining you this important podcast.
0: Yes, great, important indeed. Um, so, as we know, there's uh, been yet more bad news about climate change and the extreme urgency we're in to um, solve that. Carolina, what do you think about the IPCC's newest climate report and the need for not only coordination, but also commitments from developing countries? That was a sore point earlier by some industrialized countries that claimed that they didn't want to carry all the burden that developing nations should also start carrying some burden. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, I think uh, it's such an interesting question, Mariana, and one that certainly... uh, gives us a lot of food for thought. Um, the first point I want to make is essentially that since the Paris Agreement, there is this need for coordination. So, and we, since 2015, um, we have, and that's the idea, the background, uh, the legal background, I should say, the Paris Agreement with basically top-down uh, approach, con- all countries regardless of their level and stage of development, need to meaningfully reduce that greenhouse gases contributions. Uh, But also in the Paris Agreement framework, we have the um, national determined contributions as specifically a feature of bottom-up commitment um, that obviously needs developed and developing countries need to commit to meaningful reduction. And it was obviously a compromise in a sense that um, the international actors did not agree on a particular target, let's say all countries will reduce that uh, greenhouse gas emissions by five percent ten percent fifteen percent or whatever uh, target because they knew that would wouldn't be palatable enough mm-hmm. for uh, developing countries mm-hmm. so um, I think of course a lot uh, has occurred since Uh, the approval of the Paris Agreement Um, in the U.S. specifically with this flip-flop. The the U.S. was in major under the Obama administration was a major force actually uh, putting the agreement forward. Uh, Then the previous administration actually withdrew from the Paris Agreement. Uh, The withdrawal of the U.S. was effective uh, last November, one day after the elections. And then uh, this February, uh, the U.S. actually rejoined the Mm -hmm. Paris Agreement. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have uh, too many issues um, to your question. The first one is, uh, what is uh, the weight of the U.S. in this, like, coordinating this action? And I think it's a huge weight. It's significant. Uh, And it calls attention for not only transition to a greener economy, but also to climate change as an agenda for the world to pursue, to pursue together. So basically, the first point is without the U.S. on board, things are much harder. Now, that does not mean to say that with the U.S. on board, problem solved. No, it's a good start. It's, you know, the right foot forward. But Again, there are hurdles, as you mentioned uh, in your important question specifically, when it comes to developing countries. So, Karolina, what do you think about developing uh,
0: nations and their actual on-the-ground implementation of some of these uh, steps uh, for improvement? Do you think that's necessary, or is it enough if they even just at least start talking the talk as it's said? Will that be at least a step forward?
1: Uh, and I think it's such an interesting question and one I'm afraid I don't have the answer. Uh, but so first things first, I think we all need, um, as mentioned in your question, uh, those actions, we need action, right? So the message mm-hmm. must be clear. We need developed and developing trends on board. We need the path towards uh, meaningful greenhouse gas reductions. Now, That said, uh, we need some diplomatic uh, goodwill or political capital, if you will, uh, from uh, developing countries to at least, as you mentioned, talk the talk, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the more, and again, international law in general is based on peer pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So the more we have countries aligned with the message that... Uh, will bring progress. Now of course, uh, one thing is to talk, to talk, the other thing is to walk the walk. Mm-hmm. Now, I am hopeful that uh, the talking part will be achieved uh, might not be as we wanted when it comes to China, when it comes to India or specifically about my country, Brazil. Mm-hmm. But I'm hopeful that that will be an agreement. Uh, Because we've seen in the past, I think uh, earlier this year, when we Biden uh, actually coordinate uh, the climate summit in the US, uh, countries, uh, for instance, Brazil, um, President uh, Bolsonaro's, President Bolsonaro actually uh, agreed to, again, at least talk the talk. So I think that signals not only the importance of the U.S. in uh, coordinating this meaningful reduction, uh, but also that developing countries are aware of that that will be consequences mm-hmm. should yeah. they not be uh, yeah. in line yeah.
0: with yes. that approach. And hopefully that might also work to motivate industrialized countries more so that if, and I don't mean to sound derogatory either, but so that if even, quote-unquote, developing nations are promising action, then we really ought to take even more action and move forward. Do you see it like yes. that also?
1: Most definitely, I agree mm. with you. And mm. to that point, I think uh, to the even developing nations, is, I think it's really important, as you mentioned, because uh, there is one of the arguments of developing nations to not be that willing to commit in general is uh, historical contributions, right? Mm. This ongoing claim that, well, we, we reached the saturation point because... Um, the developed nations have been polluting significantly more than us we just you know we we basically arrived late in this race mm-hmm. um so i think uh you're right on point when you mentioned yeah, good good um so you're
0: mentioning uh, future agreements can you talk a little bit about the upcoming cop26 in glasgow glasgow this november only about a month a little more than a month away What do you think is going to happen? What do you see as some crucial musts? And uh, what issues might be able to wait a little bit longer?
1: Um, I think uh, there are reasons to be hopeful. Specifically, the agenda is for countries to actually implement the so-called market mechanisms of the Paris Agreement. And I think that will be really interesting to see if they uh, can reach an agreement in terms of how it will be um, effective, not only implemented, but how effective the agreements can be. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a major point in the agenda. To that extent, I think that the IPCC uh, unequivocal report, (laughs) Mm -hmm. very strong language being used, I think that uh, raises uh, momentum, uh, at least for countries, regardless of developed or developing countries, but uh, puts pressure on um, governments specifically to be aligned to more effective commitments. So Mm -hmm. I think those are two... Uh, Main points. Of course, there has been some debate whether or not the IPCC report will be actually uh, effective in achieving that uh, momentum. But mm-hmm. I do think, and maybe it's just my Brazilian nature, that it tends yes. to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's important. I mean, it is. it was back um, in the agenda. It is... Um, we can all agree that the IPCC, it's not like the most cutting-edge research. It's always looking backward when it comes Mm -hmm. to science but even if we control for those facts i think it's really important that when they analyze the data they made the conclusion very clear with the different scenarios that they presented that we need action and we Mm -hmm. need it fast yeah and depending on uh, what happens at COP26 that will put the world in different scenarios so i think that helps Uh, for all countries to not only take action, but uh, take responsibility. We have to stop the blaming game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that leads to your earlier question when it comes to the need for developing countries to be on board. Mm -hmm. And I think we have passed that stage now. It's like either we are all in or Mm -hmm. chances are the developing nations will be even more exposed to the impact of Uh, climate change and it's uh, it's something that uh, the IPCC report also made clear so if we think about incentives um, there is also a particular incentive that we want to that may play a role for nations to uh, gather uh, political force and bringing more Meaningful reductions when yeah. it comes to greenhouse gases. Let's hope, because as you
0: said, it really is urgent. And I think uh, most people around the world, or I don't know if most, but certainly more people around the world mm-hmm. realize that now than even just a few years ago. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so that sounds good. So, uh, Carolina, you mentioned the fact that you're uh, f- you're from Brazil and you wrote a really interesting article in the Georgetown Journal of Environmental Law, and we'll create a link to that on the website. Um, for this podcast, in that uh, article called The Amazon is Burning, is Paris too? You compared uh, the different uh, approaches taken by the United States and Brazil uh, based on the Paris Agreement. And can you talk about that a little bit? uh, What are those different approaches taken between the two countries?
1: Yes, thank you, Mayana, for bringing my article. I really appreciate uh, that you enjoyed the paper. Um, Mm So, it was, um, so there, the article um, tackles two main issues. The first main issue is deregulatory actions, right? We have President Trump very keen to, um, let's say, withdraw from the Paris Agreement and implement overall um, deregulation when it comes to environmental slash climate matters in general in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and President Bolsonaro in Brazil uh, actually uh, had a similar discourse um, and uh, fell in line with uh, trying to so many deulatory actions. Now the difference uh, became in the case of Brazil, uh, how courts, because the environment, is protected in uh, the Brazilian Constitution, uh, basically, courts had more leeway. They were not only more willing to hear the cases, but also uh, to side against the administration. Now, that said, it's not to say that uh, judges in the US would not uh, rule against Trump. They did. We had uh, so many uh, federal judges uh, nominated and appointed by uh, Republicans. Presidents that actually uh, were against um, s- so many uh, deregulatory actions from Trump. Uh, and even when it comes to the Paris Agreement itself, there were members uh, of the Trump administration, uh, Tillerson most famously, that were against the withdrawal in the first place. Mm-hmm. So we, we've seen not only from courts, but also from um, the administrative actors uh, attached to each of the presidents, um, being uh if not vocal but at least uh, being uh, opponents of such actions Mm -hmm. um so the paper uh compares and contrasts the domestic actions and also the international actions of course uh bolsonaro did not um make brazil withdraw from the paris agreement brazil is a member uh but uh we've seen his policies that were supposed to be implementing the Paris Agreement actually his stopped uh of course the pandemic also hit that hard, but uh mm-hmm. stop the monitoring, uh stop investing in environmental protection. He also uh condensed so many environmental agencies in a single umbrella. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of uh Meaningful actions to ultimately uh, jeopardize the ultimately jeopardized uh, environmental protection in my country, and mm-hmm. not only an environment here being broadly defined, including uh, indigenous populations. So oh, interesting. Um, I think that's something that sometimes um, goes uh, unnoticed yes. uh, in our conversations, and I think. Uh, this is also another reason that why I'm so grateful to uh, be participating to joining in such podcast because I think that hopefully we raise awareness about these issues, uh, at least you know provoke uh, discussion. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's
1: hope so. And you know what?
0: Uh, a lot of people, you're right, uh, don't know that. I didn't know that. But what I think is uh, commonly known is the fact that you know, I think some people here think Brazil is almost hopeless, you know, they burn their rainforest, and, you know, there's beef issues, and, you know, it just Mm -hmm. seems like, you know, everyone is looking to Brazil and loving the rainforest, and, you know, we need them, obviously. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, the individual country is not doing enough to protect them. And at the same time, you mentioned the fact to me that the Brazilian constitution has several clauses Protecting the environment, including now we learn the you know tribal people, indigenous people, so is that is the constitution just a a big uh, paper lion that uh, people don't really live up to, or what's going on with this dichotomy between the constitution and what actually happens out there with the rainforests for example
1: um I think uh, for the first part um so your important question is the constitution is more than just a piece of paper. There are um, institutional actors, not only um, the Brazilian courts, the federal judiciary specifically, uh, that have. Um, but we also have the Ministério Público Federal, which is kind of a public prosecutor for the federal government, mm-hmm. who has been overall very active. Hmm. Uh, in protecting not only the Amazon, not only the environment, the Cerrado, which is kind of like in the central part of Brazil, Mm -hmm. uh, a very unique ecosystem, uh, because uh, the president wants to just, you know, uh, plant soybeans to export to China, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, Hmm. obviously not the best approach, even economically, uh, one can say, but um, I think uh, it's more than a piece of paper. I think it has a meaningful protection. This is, yes, for sure. There's no n- no controversy on that. Mm-hmm. And, and the judges have tenure, they're protected, and they act accordingly. Now, that said, um, if we have fires in the Amazon and it's up to the executive to help, or if it's up to the executive to enforce protections, that's where it's uh, obviously... Um, Uh, as far as reduction of such protection or reduction of such help. That's where we are heading a current challenge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, going full circle uh, in the paper, I think a lot of people in the U.S. sometimes think, oh, it doesn't matter... uh, whoever is president in the United States, they mm-hmm. think that domestically and internationally. Mm-hmm. And I'm often heartbroken when I hear that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, it matters domestically. Mm-hmm. And it matters significantly if you're thinking about fo- about foreign policies. Yes, And the fact that we had President Trump and we have Bolsonaro mimicking um, Trump's actions mm-hmm. as not only minimizing his speech, but his actions, I think it's telling. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a a, a terrible example uh, in terms of the importance, once again, of the United States um, in terms of setting agenda, in terms of of, also of setting what can be approached and discussed and basically uh, what countries should be aiming at. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that brings the US, uh, quote, unquote, if nothing else, moral responsibility in mm-hmm. terms of how it it frames uh, their own domestic environmental policy. Um, so even I'm not talking about withdrawal of the Paris Agreement. I'm talking you know, internally, if you're right. thinking about investing in coal as opposed to in transition to a green economy, you are authorizing that other specifically developing nations in general um, would pursue the more, uh, a less, uh, I would say, uh, climate conscience package of policies. Mm. And I think this is important. Yes. We need to have this conversation going. We cannot be tired. I know for people like you right. and the students, for sure. I mean, yeah. you're tired of having this conversation. But, you know, being mm-hmm. in Oklahoma... I can tell you, mm-hmm. we need more.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. We
1: need much more. We need full power. And again, it's it's urgent. Yes. It's a pressing issue. And, uh, and as far as uh, something mentioned in the paper, and I think it's also important when we're talking about comparative analysis, mm-hmm. is the fact that uh, we know that it would be difficult to amend the U.S. Constitution to mm-hmm. include... A right to a health environment, for instance, um, and we can say that there is a general protection. We do have state constitutions now acknowledging that oh. there is a, such a right, um, but we understand that you, transaction costs for amending the U.S. Constitution is obviously uh, a very high.
0: Yeah. That
1: said, uh, uh, particularly inside from the article, and that brings. Uh, that builds on comparative uh, law literature is the fact that, well, uh, when it's so difficult to amend the text of a constitution, um, it's actually up to courts to, quote-unquote, update the constitutional text. And Mm -hmm. one issue that can do the incurring such updating is with standing. Mm -hmm. And when we think about environmental law in general, not just climate change, but environmental law in general, we know standing requirements, like injury in fact. I mean, they are so restrict restrictive mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. U.S., and they are also uh, changed depending on uh, the composition of a given court. Mm-hmm. So I think that particular insight is when it comes to modernizing a uh, constitutional tax. I mm-hmm. think that's one that we uh, should be aware of and should be, you know, spreading the word. Yeah, uh, in a sense that. Well, if standing is uh, one way that we can modernize uh, constitutional tax, then instead of the presumption should be from that perspective, instead of being restrictive when it comes to standing, it should be to be more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I understand that the more litigation, litigation does not ensure environmental protection or climate action for sure. But I think uh, it also... Uh, In case it's almost like in case of doubt or if there's a conflict, Mm -hmm. then we should be leaning at a more flexible standing requirements than restrictive. Yes,
0: um, and I would uh, agree with that. Certainly, when it comes to um, environmental issues, also under uh, the Rio declarations, ironically, it wasn't Rio, but Mm -hmm. the Article 15 Mm -hmm. of the precautionary principle, proceed with. Precaution when you're not sure about the long-term scientific uh, results of something, as would seem to be relevant here. But U.S. courts, though, is, you know, certainly the Supreme Court seems to be getting more and more conservative and more and more restrictive. Mm-hmm. So, so that's an interesting point because at the same time, also hoping for a constitutional amendment in this country to the U.S. Constitution seems hopelessly difficult. And then the mm-hmm. courts are becoming more and more restrictive. In our know, scene, from just the standing point of view, and you mentioned someplace that only five American court cases have even mentioned the Paris Agreement. Um, so, how do you look at this? Is it just? It seems like that's looking a little hopeless, isn't it? If we hope that we could get through courts and get more action that way, uh, via the development of common law and views of regulatory law that are interpreted more favorably towards better environmental protections is that is that realistic then? how do you see that uh, that difficulty
1: Yes, I think I think you're right i mean it's it, when I look at the cases, it was like well it's hopeless. It got me thinking about the design of the research itself right mm-hmm. so um it was I ran my search two thousand nineteen mm-hmm. and back then um, officially the u s was still in the Paris agreement, so there was not much controversy. I mean mm-hmm. President Trump has already uh, communicated withdrawal, but because mm-hmm. of the uh, terms of the Paris Agreement itself—it was not effective, as I mentioned earlier, um, until November uh, 2020. So um, then it got me thinking, also in the sense that uh, it might be because it did not—the cases were not, you know, going through courts as of 2019, uh-huh. or just basically I used Westlaw, so uh-huh. in terms of how it's reported and how uh-huh. the uh, how long it takes for the database to not only uh, be updated but also to to count as um, mention of a Paris agreement that they are actually capable of report to analyze reported cases so um, even though five cases uh, would look to us meaningful as I think it's, it's still an important number it doesn't mean that it's the definitive number on the topic first and second I, I think so many issues that were litigated within climate change policies did not mention the Paris Agreement itself.
0: Right. And so I was actually wondering, uh, you mentioned the fact that in those ca- uh, very few cases in this country, have men- court cases rather, in this country, have mentioned the Paris Agreement itself. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if it might be, I think there might be more, but they just have not mentioned the Paris Agreement for the fear of, uh, citing to international law that some attorneys and share with some judges you know the fear of of upsetting dualists that see international law as something uh, different from our law and a whole separate body of law whereas mm-hmm. others might see international law under monist uh, principle as still the law and still binding um, but yes, I wonder if you think that there might actually be or be there might become more of those cases, but without relying so much on the treaty language itself.
1: Yes, I think that's the case, manna And I think um, eventually I should run a search that uh, would... Um, and I, I don't know how I would design that, but all comments are welcome specifically coming from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you think about, let's say power plant litigation, if you're thinking about NEPA, those are uh, statutes that uh, or regulations for that matter that will um, they, they touch climate policy they, not touch, they are germane to climate policies and nonetheless there is significant ongoing litigation on those topics and they don't mention the Paris Agreement mm-hmm. so um, I know five cases still very discouraging but I think it's more in a Full disclosure, I would say, Uh, maybe it's because of the design of the research itself. But again, it's not to say that it's not valid, because I wanted to compare with Brazil. So the goal was to look at cases, Paris Agreement in the US and Paris Agreement in Brazil, right? So I'm going to be able to compare
0: right. uh,
1: all the policies in Brazil and all the policies in the U.S. So I was, you know, I sometimes you have to narrow, and you notice this, um, when it comes to research, you need to narrow sometimes sure. to, to make the findings that are yeah. possible at that particular yeah. period in time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a valid snapshot. And uh, to an mm-hmm. earlier point, actually, man, I think it shows uh, how uh, litigators in general are unwillingly to acknowledge the importance of international law. Yeah. Period, yeah. Exactly. Uh, when it comes to the U.S., and I think this is a relevant finding mm-hmm, in terms sure. of welcome to discussion, and if nothing else, for us to, um, and us meaning uh, not only uh, teachers, professors, educators, uh, policy actors, uh, but everybody to be mindful that international. Law matters.
0: It really does, uh, and also should be enforced. And so, uh, per- mm-hmm. personally, professionally, I think I'm hoping we might see more litigation, as uh, has happened in the EU, where some uh, plaintiffs have actually won uh, several of the or some of these cases. Most notably, um, I think the case forcing uh, Holland to adopt greater uh, restrictions or greater uh, goals towards climate change. Um, so hopefully, some litigation uh, could bring the agenda forward as well. Only it's difficult in this country because courts typically send say here that that's a political that climate change is a political question, mm-hmm. where that doesn't seem to be so much of a hurdle in in Europe. So again, that's another you mentioned standing, but I think another hurdle here is the uh, political question doctrine. So Indeed. basically where courts say this is not for them to decide on, that, uh, that the politicians should decide on this issue, but then they often can't agree. And then meanwhile, years go by that we don't have anymore. Do you see it that way too, that you're hopeful towards more litigation on this issue?
1: Yes, and I think um, we've seen litigation as a, a particular form to raise public awareness, mm-hmm. and also to, if nothing else, raise transaction costs for relevant players. right? Interesting. let so yes. talk about that a little bit. Not only if you're thinking about, let's say, uh, you gave the Dutch example, it immediately crossed my mind uh, that it was also um, Dutch that, um, courts that uh, basically gave this uh, earlier decision against Shell uh, mm-hmm. for climate damage. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important because uh, they know, and they know for a while now that um, oil exploration um, obviously releases greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. Um, They know that that product is um, basically uh, causing damage, Mm -hmm. global damage, Mm -hmm. um, and we need domestic courts to... Um, not only starting, obviously they won't start uh, any litigation, but to be aware that well, this president globally, some they can uh, they wouldn't be reinventing the wheel. And of course, right. different jurisdictions have different uh, definitions of rights. As the sure. Brazilian versus U.S. Uh, comparison, constitutional comparison uh, brought to mind. But uh, I think the fact that you're not being the first. Uh, it mm-hmm. helps mm-hmm. it's it's not that you're it's basically far or i think right. it, it, it really um keeps pushing not only the subject but also action we need action and if uh, we're starting to see a lot of um talk about mandatory disclosure when it comes to climate damage for instance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and you mentioned european for example and i think it's a uh, spot on. Also, if you think about monetary disclosure, let's say uh, the European Central Bank with Christine Lagarde versus uh, the Fed here that, you know, basically is collecting data now and it's like asking the public uh, and, of course, market um, to lean in. Uh, versus in Europe, there's, I mean, they assume climate change, it's not a political issue. like the. So it's much easier to act because you don't have to... Uh, carry that extra weight of defining that the scientific evidence is there is an equivocal, again, IPCC report, we keep going back to it. To right. it. But uh, I yeah. think that, uh, it speaks, it, and of course, being um, covented, we know, we're not saying that one particular jurisdiction is doing this better or worse, but we're saying different approaches. Uh, and... When we think about meaningful action, there are approaches that are proving more effective than the others, and I think that's where comparative law also brings this mm-hmm. kind of like disruptive nature. Yes, up for if nothing else, to discuss the policy, to approach. Yes, the policy, yeah. Policies. So I'm
0: so. <laughs> and even as even if court cases aren't won by plaintiffs, uh, maybe even just bringing, like you said, the court cases themselves would have some value in in Hopefully, then forcing politicians to think about it, or forcing you know different sectors of society to think about it—that it's at the point where litigation is even brought at a fairly large scale on this issue—and again, not only here but overseas. So yes, uh, hopefully, we'll see some more action uh, in that front too to bring forward the agenda. Um, so one other thing um, that I thought was interesting to go back to your Brazilian examples. I noticed you said that uh, Brazil's emissions are not considered difficult to abate as more than half of the carbon emissions in Brazil are produced by deforestation. Um so that's interesting because I think in this country we think that the climate change is almost hopeless because we rely on our cars and airplanes and air conditioning and heating and whatnot. Um but so in Brazil actually talk about that it's seen as a relatively easy problem perhaps to to overcome. Apart from the deforestation, or that it is mainly a deforestation issue? Yes, because
1: uh, it speaks also because in Brazil we have a significant percentage of our energy. I mean, full disclosure here, uh, we have an energy crisis in the horizon pretty soon uh, yeah. because our our, uh, our reservatories are below what they should be at, the level they should be at. Too. You know, we, have, we are now it's mm-hmm. springtime there, it's unclear that they will recover. For the summer, but uh, going back to your point, a lot mm-hmm. of it, uh, our energetic sources, if you will, come a lot from um, hydraulic power, and I think, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there are there is damage if you're building uh, and relying so much on uh, such sources, but uh, they are n- not uh, greenhouse gases emitters. Mm-hmm. I would say they are not important greenhouse gas em- emitters. That does not mean, that does not cl- uh, cause uh, damage to the environment, right? Um, right? But I think that's why Brazilian, um, I would say, um, emissions are not uh, ha- that hard to abate, I would say, emphasis on that. Um, but, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and again, we also have nuclear energy in um in places that are perhaps not, uh, wouldn't be advisable to build nowadays. For instance, we have Angra dos Reis, which is in very close to my own city in Rio. Uh, and it's unclear that, well, if you're in Germany, obviously you have to phase out you know, your nuclear energy from the power versus, mm-hmm. you know, in France, so oh, it's okay It's to mm-hmm. kind of like sort of greenhouse gas-wise, mm-hmm. it's clean, <laughs> quote, unquote. So again... Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, I think, the discussion, and I think that's why I'm also uh, thankful for your question on that, is that there's no one-size-fits-all, right, um, when it comes to energy sources, specifically to this transition towards a greener economy. But there is one requirement, is that countries do need um, to take, it's no longer an invitation to take this mandate uh, to implement such policy fast, mm-hmm. Um So Mm -hmm. um, I think the Brazilian example, uh, as you mentioned, uh, based on the paper, uh, it's one that it's with a particular policy agenda. uh, Some policy agenda changes. It's easier to implement. Uh, Of course, we need investment to achieve such implementation. Uh, But it's um, I think it's Mm -hmm. a relevant comparison when you make with the U.S. on that note.
0: Yeah. And moving beyond maybe uh, uh, some of the uh, the, uh, technologies that do not create very much uh, uh, CO2 or very many greenhouse gases, but that have other problems, Mm -hmm. such as nuclear power, because nobody wants the waste, really, or the hydroelectric plants that uh, we're decommissioning, or at least talking about decommissioning in the Pacific Northwest because of the salmon problem. So it seems like we need—we truly have come to the point where we really need to think uh, about what to do to get beyond even those technologies. So a big step forward, it seems like, needs to be taken.
1: Yes, yes, I totally agree. agree. And I think also when you mentioned technologies, so um, that brought me t- to think about carbon capture and storage, um, that um, depending mm-hmm. on who you're reading, people say, well, this is like, truly the best solution because we can remove the greenhouse gas, specifically, of course, carbon dioxide and we can store or, or we can capture and store for 20 years or so and that won't be released to the atmosphere. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, if you're engaging in an polluting activity, um, you won't be storage, capturing and storage 100% of it, right? Like the best, like the most right. um, plants that are using it used to be Subject with at least ten percent out there. So, and ten percent of a lot is a Mm -hmm. lot. So we, I mean,
0: yes, you're right. This
1: notion that well, technology will come and we cure will be, you know, this panacea. I think we need to be uh, aware that it's, you know, it's 2021. We are in a pandemic world Mm -hmm. scenario. We're in several pandemics,
0: yeah, and one of them might be seen to be climate change, exactly. which also is a global killer, exactly. right? I mean we've seen how scared people have become, yeah, because of the COVID. But climate change is is very much a killer yeah. in and of itself and will be more so in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, well, Carolina, great, uh, great views on all these issues. I'm uh, excited to follow what Brazil is doing in the future, and I'm sure the listeners will be too. It'll be exciting too to see uh, what happens at COP twenty six in Glasgow, and maybe we can come back and, and debrief our thoughts. I would be delighted, And Again,
1: thank you so much for such a distinguished invitation. My pleasure to joining you, and I look forward. Oh, thank to you so much. Uh, another round. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much.
0: This was an episode of the global energy and environmental law podcast my name is maiana dellinger today i talked to professor carolina arlotta
1: of the college of law of the university of oklahoma
0: thank you for listening